Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand just one last time. We, we like to make... Um, declarations here uh, as we as we read um, the word of God if you can grab your Bible hold it high up in the air I want you to, to declare this over your heart uh, it'll be up on the screen I want you to say this say this is the infallible come on say it with authority this is the infallible undisputed and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truth. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life. You guys believe that? Say in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 9. Remain standing if you can, out of respect for the reading uh, of the word. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Say many adversaries. I love what it says in the Message Bible. Before you sit down, I'd like to read that version as well. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wrote something called the Epistles. He was one of the main writers of the New Testament scriptures. And he's writing to the church. And he says this, I plan to visit you, to the church, after passing through northern Greece, and I won't be staying long there, but maybe I can stay a while with you, maybe even spend the winter. And then you could give me a good send-off whenever I may, wherever my, I may be headed next. I don't want to just drop by in between other primary destinations. I want a good, long, leisurely visit. Sounds like he needs a break. If the master agrees, we'll have it. But for the present, I am staying right here in Ephesus. This next verse is really what I want to highlight to you. He says, a huge door of opportunity for good work has opened here. But there's also mushrooming opposition. Somebody say mushrooming opposition. It's almost a tongue twister. You may have your seats. It's amazing to me, uh, throughout scriptures, when you, when you find the Lord doing something great in a certain region, or you even see it throughout history in the United States of America with many different revivals that have popped up, but wherever God is doing something great, it attracts certain things and some things that are not so great. 
because the enemy of our soul, we know, is Satan. He is a counterattacker. So, so when Paul is writing here, it sounds like he's super excited almost. Man, a great door of opportunity has come into my life. But then he slides this, but there's many adversaries. And can I tell you, any time that God is up to doing something great in your life, any time that there are doors of opportunity that are about to open or have opened, you will have, like Paul said, many adversaries. If you read throughout Scripture, even when Jesus was giving this parable about the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares, how many remember the story about the wheat and the tares? Jesus gives this little story, and it certainly ties into this scripture that I'm reading. He gives this story about, he says, there's one farmer. He gets up early in the morning and he begins to sow his seed in his field. But then he goes to sleep and then a thief comes and he comes and he sows bad seeds or tares. Tares are like weeds that choke out the good seed. And he says, as that person is sleeping, as that farmer is sleeping, the thief comes and he sows tares among the wheat. And then Jesus goes on to say that in the end of time, the wheat meaning the people of God, the church, the saints, and then uh, the tares meaning those who are not of the fold, right? Not of God's kingdom will be separated from the wheat and the tares. So anytime throughout the Bible, wherever you see great blessing, you will immediately see great difficulty. Anytime, you have to be careful. I get excited about prophetic words. I, I mean, I really do. If anybody loves prophetic words, I love visions. I love when the Lord really speaks through a sermon. I love when a prophet comes and says, thus saith the word of God. And yeah, I love that. But as you get older in the Lord and you mature and you grow and you gain more and more experience, with that excitement comes a little bit of reservation. Because anybody who's been walking with the Lord long enough should know that any time that God speaks that something is going to happen, he gives you a word for your future, he gives you this, this future, this, this hope, something that he's wanting to do great in your life is automatically, generally, automatically met with opposition in your life. He tells you to start a business. You better believe you will have some kind of opposition because the enemy does not want you to ultimately reach your destination. Anytime he says, hey, you're going you're gonna to have a ministry, you will have opposition. You will have many adversaries. When he says you're going to get married, the first person that comes along that you date is a heathen. He's not right for you. I'll say it like a white folk, like white folks. He's not right for you, honey. He's the devil in disguise. Anytime the Lord will say, you're going to be used in the healing ministry and then sickness hits your body. Anytime you feel that you're about to walk into a season of peace and somebody prophetically has said, you're about to have a season of great peace and all of a sudden, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Am I, am I preaching to anybody this morning? Everything begins to go wrong. And most people think, and here's... Here's the issue is that many people think that because the opposition is going on, they think the Lord has left them, not really realizing that the opposition is a confirmation 
It's a sign that says you are on track. You are going where you need to go. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I've only told this person this. The Holy Spirit said something to me. I don't even know if I can get it back out the way that it came. Is that often, oftentimes in the kingdom, when you feel that you're going backwards, when you, you feel that you've taken two steps forward and then you feel like you've taken one step or two steps back or three steps back rather anybody ever felt that way in the kingdom this is a sign that you're going forward that sounds like an oxymoron I like to use that word it feels like oh lord I've, I've come really far but now I feel like I'm going even further down than where I was before why is that anytime you are experiencing pressure any time that you are experiencing resistance in your life from going forward, it's a sign that you're growing. Anybody who lifts weights, I don't do it as much as I used to, but when I did, when I was in, well, ovals of shape, right? I was going to say when I was in shape, I mean, I've always had, you know, ovals of shape. I've realized this, that when the muscles are put under extreme pressure, and it's only those last two or three reps that are almost unbearable, it's actually what causes growth. So in the kingdom of God, when, God, when you're feeling the pressures of life, when you're feeling the heat of the enemy, and you're feeling that, that you're, like you're in that season where you're feeling stuck and you're not growing, but you're continuing to press, you're continuing to believe God, it's at that moment right there that you're growing and going forward. I was telling my friend that the way God works is suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. You're sowing and you're sowing and you're sowing. And you're like, God, where is my harvest? I've tithed. I've fasted. I have prayed. I've showed up to church. I've done my part. Lord, why aren't you doing your part? Now, here's how good God is. When you're sowing in those seasons, has anybody, I remember as a kid when I would take home these little um, little science projects and we would plant a seed and every day, Every day, you know, I'd be looking at the thing every five minutes. When's it going to pop up? When's it going to pop up? When's it going to pop up? When's blessing going to come? We treat our Christian walk that way. When is it going to come? When's the breakthrough going to show up? When's God going to break through? When is he going to show up in my life? When is he going to touch my situation? When's he going to bless me financially? When's this open door going to happen? And you keep looking at it and looking at it, and it doesn't seem as if anything is moving one day I got up out of the bed and I looked at that little clear cup where I had sown that seed and suddenly just overnight something just popped up. That's how weeds are, right? They just suddenly, because God's a suddenly God. And as you continue to sow and you sow and you sow, believe this, that one day you will wake up and it will just be there. It's, it's just God's kingdom is progressive. And when you sow, he waters. We, it's dependent upon him. He depends on you to sow it. You depend on him to water it. And then he brings the increase. Amen? So anytime in your life where you're experiencing that opposition, it's for one reason. It's because you are in the midst of taking territory. And anytime you are experiencing that type of resistance... It is a sign that you are taking territory. And so I want to preach a message this morning called Territory Takers. I don't get no amens, but let me just say this. Can I get one or two? Amen. L li listen, listen. The enemy will not hand you over your destiny easily. He will not hand you over what you are believing God for easily. 
His job is to create resistance, to keep you from progressing, to keep you from moving forward. And he wants to, in this season, I feel so deeply in my heart that he is wanting to cause such deep frustration so that you give up too early. So that you stop short of what God has for you. Is that sitting well with anybody this morning? I, I felt so deeply throughout the week that, that some of you are just on the brink. And when you're feeling that pressure to, to retreat, see, see, the scripture says this, whoever puts his hand against the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom. His soul, meaning God, has no pleasure in those who draw back. Look at somebody this morning and say it with conviction in your eyes, even if you have to look behind you. Say, don't you dare draw back. Don't you dare. Come on, say it louder. Say, don't you dare draw back. Do you want to know why I believe? I don't mean to make what's happened in the United States of America all about um, just churches being shut down. I don't want to do that, but because I'm a preacher, if you will, I kind of tend to fall on this side. This is just our realm, right? But there is something to be said of all of the churches, especially receiving so much uh, scrutiny about meeting together and wear a mask, not wear a mask. I mean, if we have to wear masks, that's what we have to do. But nobody is going to stop us from meeting together. I have to say that. And I believe that this has, has been from the very beginning. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching just a little good. I believe it has been a demonically inspired agenda against the church of Jesus Christ. Because if you can, if you can keep the church from meeting, you can squelch out and silence the voice of God. And if you can silence the voice of God, the people of God will not receive their spiritual nourishment. If the people of God do not receive their spiritual nourishment, they begin to get what we call malnourished. If you want to be spiritual, we call it backslidden conditions we begin to find ourselves in. But whenever, what I believe is we were on the precipice before this all happened. I believe that we were on the precipice of a great spiritual awakening. Can I tell you, we are on the cuffs still of that. But what the enemy has done when there has been great blessings, there's been great prophetic voices that said, this is going to happen. I'm telling you, the year 2021 is going to be the year where God breaks out and just begins to change some things. We're, and how many know we're in need of a great revival again? How many know that we're in need of a deep spiritual awakening and come to the place where we are once again aware of our need for God? How many know that? Well, what has happened is this opposition has mushroomed because even though the enemy is not omniscient, meaning all-knowing, God is all-knowing, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, say he's all-knowing. The enemy is not all-knowing, he's still a spirit, meaning he can still sense when God is about to do something great. So what he'll do is he'll create these little mushrooming oppositions to keep happening from what God has willed. Look at somebody and say, God's will cannot be stopped. His will cannot be stopped. And you know what surprises me? That most Christians do not expect opposition when they're walking with the Lord. And that's one thing that you have to do in your Christian walk. When you are a bona fide believer who trusts God, who has faith in God, you have to expect resistance when you are believing Him for something. That's why it says lay hold of eternal life. That's an aggressive 
verbiage being used. Like you have to lay hold of it, not casually hold on. There are times and seasons of your life where your faith will be tried to its very core. And you have to lay hold and hold on to the Lord in those difficulties. I told somebody the other day, maybe I told you guys, I said, sometimes walking with the Lord is like riding on the back of a bull. You just have to hold on for dear life at times. Amen. You just have to hang in. Amen. So you have to expect resistance. Say that with me. Expect resistance. When you're attempting, listen to this, when you're attempting to do something from God, even if it's just holding on to him, when you're called to do that very thing, you need to expect resistance and opposition because here's what it's called. Warfare. Warfare. And we are in a deep season of warfare. Warfare is simply a spiritual word that is saying that I have to contend for what God wants to accomplish in my life. We have to contend. When two gentlemen put boxing gloves on and get in the ring together, they are contenders. They're contending for victory. Do not think that the title of your blessing is going to be easily handed to you without contending for it. You will have to pray sometimes. You will have to fast sometimes. You will have to press sometimes if you're going to lay hold of what God has spoken in eternity past. This is the whole idea of the Christian walk is that we are, it is our, it's God's job to deliver it, but it's our job to hold on to him in the midst of him not delivering it yet. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when you are contending, that means you are holding on to God's promises and you lay hold of the horns of the altar and you do not let go until God breaks through in your life. And never think just because God told you to be married that it was going to be easy that you didn't have to contend for it. Never think that just because God told you to start a business or to enter into some endeavor that it was going to be easy, like as if the enemy was going to just let you just walk into your promised land. Even the children of Israel whom God had said, I have set this thing aside just for you. It has your name on it. They had enemies to fight. They had enemies they had to overcome. God didn't just hand it to them. And I feel like there's some people in this room this morning that are believing God for something specific. And I just feel this almost this heaviness, this, this weight in the room. And I can almost hear, hear the enemy breathing lies into some of your lives saying, let go because God's not going to do it. Can I tell you, I want to tell you what the Holy Spirit is saying this morning, that your chapter is almost here, that your breakthrough is almost here. You're just a few more prayers away. You're just a few more steps away from your blessing if you will choose to hold on by faith this morning. How many receive that? The devil is never concerned with you starting something. Always remember that, Samuel. He is not worried about you starting anything. He's afraid of those who are finishers. He's afraid of finishers. Those who endure to the end shall receive the crown of life. And there's something to be said about the believer who has this tenacious faith 
Anybody can jump and holler and clap. Anybody can, can survive a few services and clap and shout and holler and spin three times and say, I got it. But not many people can endure long seasons of drought. And can I tell you, the longer the drought, the greater the blessing awaits you. The tougher the season, the greater the blessing. The stronger the demons, the greater the outcome is for your life. I heard a word this morning. I woke up to this prophetic word from this gentleman by the name of Pastor Robert Clancy from, uh, from Australia. And he was giving this prophetic word about how when people in their lives, especially those who are called, especially those who are chosen, especially those who have a destiny, how even from a young childhood, you can you see those little mile markers of constant opposition and you look at other people's lives and see how things have been handed to them. Cars have been handed to them. Money has been handed to them. They've had great families and everything has just been handed to them. But you've had this opposition your whole life. And can I tell you that this is the story for most children of God. They've had opposition after opposition. When you have a great calling, when you have great blessings awaiting in your life, can I just tell you, the enemy can sense that. And he will oppose you on every side to stop you short of what God wants to do. Look at somebody and say, don't stop short. And that's the enemy's job. His job is to create an environment to get you to give up. And he will send strategies. He will send people. Sometimes he'll send family members. He'll send a boss. He'll send certain things in your life to get you to throw in the towel and stop short of what God, he will send, come on, he'll send things into your mind. He'll speak lies into your mind. Come on, am I talking too deep this morning? He'll send things in your mind. He'll create problems in your finances. He'll call, he'll strip you of your peace if you allow him to. And remember this, you have the right to either give up or keep whatever it is that the enemy is taking. Because he's not just after your life. He's not just after your body. He's after territory. He's wanting to gain territory. The reason he tries to get us to give up is he wants territory. He wants to create generational patterns. Because he wants to take territory, not just from you, but your children's children. While at the same God who's wanting to bless and breathe out his favor and fill with his spirit, he's wanting to create blessings for generations and he's wanting to give you territory. But he doesn't just hand it to us because if he just handed it to us, our faith wouldn't be built, our faith wouldn't be strengthened, our faith couldn't be used. And sometimes God will just sit back by the highway and say, how bad do you want this? How long are you going to hold on? How long are you going to trust me? How long are you going to endure? So that's what the enemy will do. He'll send everything that he can to get you to stop short. He'll create problems in your career. He'll cause disruptions in your destiny. He'll cause misery. I'm making this up by my mind. He'll cause misery in ministry. Do anything that he can to disrupt your faith in God. And if he can't get to you, he'll go after your spouse. If he can't get to your spouse, he'll go after your kids. If he can't go after your kids, he'll go after your elderly parents. If he can't get to them, he goes after the dog. No, just kidding. <laughs> We're giving him too much credit. 
But what I want to do this morning is I want to build your faith and I, I want to equip you with certain principles to remind you that we have an adversary. And if you are wanting to enter in all that God has for you, you're going to have to hold on just a little bit longer. You're going to have to pray a little while longer. You're going to have to keep showing up to service a little while longer. You're going to have to keep trusting and holding on just a little while longer. Go ahead and nudge somebody and say, hold on a little while longer. I love this scripture in James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, therefore, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. There has to be a resistance in you. You have to resist sometimes those silly thoughts about giving up. Sometimes you have to resist what you see in the natural. You know, I, I generally try to pray for the sick every Sunday. I think I mentioned this last week. So it didn't surprise me when my mother got hit with sickness. I mean, why wouldn't the devil attack in that way? Whatever you pray for, the enemy will attack you in the opposite. But here's the key, is when we resist him and we continue to resist him, we continue to resist those thoughts, we continue to resist those circumstances that do not, do not line up with God's word, we will get the victory because it says, when we resist him, he will eventually flee from us. Somebody say resist. Resist, say it again, say, you gotta resist. And if you experience that resistance, my encouragement to you this morning is to keep fighting and keep moving forward. And if you resist the enemy, he will eventually flee and give up. Come on, say, give it back. He will give up everything that he has stole and that he has taken, amen? And when you pass the test, of the enemy's resistance, you head to that spiritual dressing room and you have to dress for battle. I am so surprised at the body of Christ many times who enter into this spiritual battle, who get saved and think that they do not have to dress for this war. Somebody told me the other day, he's a pastor friend of mine, he says, each one of your sermons is laced with like warfare or fighting. Maybe it's because of what I went through as a little kid, but there's, there's truth in the fact that your survival, I just, when I think about the body of Christ and I think about how, how the church, many churches, and we don't have it all right, certainly. We have many gaps, but these days, and I'm not against health and wealth. I'm not against that. But there is no real equipping the saints for true warfare. We, we, we make people feel good on a Sunday morning. We get an encouraging word. And then we, we lose the battle those six days of the week. And then we're running to the house of the Lord to get another fix, to give me enough energy, give me enough faith to survive until next Sunday. We have to get beyond that. And we have to dress in our spiritual armor if we're going to walk in true victory and not just talk about it. We have to to dress for the battle. Somebody say, dress for the battle. And it shocks me in Christianity how many people who profess to be believers and do not dress up for the warfare that they're going to have to engage into. We have to dress up. Say, dress up. 
when I look at many lives, and sometimes I find myself in this same maybe mindset is we don't give much thought as if the enemy is not real, like we're not giving any thought. And we shouldn't. Let me just tell you this. Do not meditate more on the devil than you do on God. I'm just saying, saying be aware of him. That's what I'm saying. Do not give more thought to the enemy than you do God. Do not more do more dressing up than praying up. Come on. Don't, you know, love God more than you give attention to the enemy. So, so don't miss what I'm saying this morning. But most people do not give it to any thought, any thought to the fact that the enemy is real, that he is alive and that he is active and that he's trying to remain active in the lives of believers. And I would guess, I'm just guessing prophetically this morning, that you didn't give much thought to his existence maybe even this week. May I politely suggest this, that this type of mindset makes the enemy really happy. This kind of mindset keeps us from showing up to prayer meetings. This kind of mindset really keeps us casual in our pursuit of God. I'm not saying God is displeased necessarily when we don't show up to prayer meetings. But, but, what I, but what I am saying, in order to be earthly good in your life, you're going to have to be spiritual minded. You've heard it said, you're too, I've heard it said, you're too spiritual minded, you're no earthly good. What I like to say is, you are no good until you are spiritually minded. Come on, you don't have to be weird with your clients or weird around your, you know, peers. You don't have to be weird around your boss in order to be effective. But we have to be a heavenly-minded people. There's more behind that boss's attitude than what meets the eye. There's more behind your circumstances than what meets the eye. I am saying that. Not everything or everyone has a devil, but I guess I'd rather pray against it than not gain victory at all. Amen? Cover our grounds. I want to read this quickly to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It talks about the full armor of God. Say the full armor. Talking about dressing up this morning. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is important. Don't be strong in your own might. Be, be powerful in his might. It's by his spirit. Say by his spirit. So put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's saying we're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is not against people. Everything that you're experiencing through people, when you experience rejection through a person, you're not dealing with flesh and blood. When you're dealing with opposition through people and there's this constant repetitive thing in your life, this constant disappointment in a certain area through different people, this is not flesh and blood. This is, he's talking about, this is rulers of wickedness. This is against powers. This is against the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So he gives you this exhortation. He says, therefore, so take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
listen to this piece of armor. Then taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all, say all, all of the fiery darts from the wicked one. There are not just certain areas you should be experiencing victory in your life. As a child of God, if you have the shield of faith and you keep it held high in your life, you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. Let me first address the fact that you are in a spiritual battle. Say, I'm in a battle. And it's not against your boss. It's not against your coworkers. It's not against your spouse. It's not against Biden, although it feels like that sometimes. It's not against Trump. It's not against the United States of America. It's not against blacks. It's, it's not against whites. It's not against a church denomination. It's not against health. It's not against addiction. Come on, say amen. It's against the enemy who works through those vehicles or through those avenues in our lives. So check out these pieces of armor, the belt of truth. I was thinking about when I grew up, uh, going to school as a, um, I was in high school. I remember this kid got off the bus and he was a, he was a bit of a fighter and he became my friend later. Um, but you didn't want to pick on this guy because he would, he would let you have it. But one day he picked on somebody who wasn't, you know, wasn't a fighter at all. Or no, excuse me, that person picked on him. And he started, started with my friend, and I, my friend was just going to crush this kid. And he was like six foot, and we're in high school. And, but the problem was is my friend didn't wear his belt that day. And so a kid that normally wouldn't be able to take this guy out, you know, he beat him up. And I got a revelation, even as a young kid, the importance on wearing a belt. Because the belt in those days, in Roman days, when they're describing, they're describing uh, the Romans' armor, okay? The belt of truth, the helmet of salvation. This is how Romans would dress in biblical times. But as I studied this piece of armor, the belt of truth is actually what held up the rest of the armor. It actually held up the belt. It wasn't attached to the shoes, but everything else coexisted and was held together based on that belt of truth. And so truth has to be our first and foremost in our lives. That's what we have to hold dear to our lives or else nothing else will hold together. Does that make sense? The truth of God's word, namely, has to be at the forefront and in the very depths of our heart if everything else is going to work. Say the belt of truth. And so it goes on to talk about the breastplate of righteousness, which guards the heart of the believer. I tell people all the time, they say, you know, Pastor, how do you survive when people disappoint you and leave you? I say, listen, you have to have a big heart and thick skin. In your walk with the Lord, people will disappoint you and they will hurt you. But what the breastplate of righteousness does is it guards the heart. It keeps your heart protected from walking around wounded. And all throughout the week, there are opportunities to be wounded. People who criticize you, talk behind your back call you a cult. <laughs> Just kidding. Call you all kinds of things. There's circumstances throughout the week that the enemy uses to wound the believer's heart. And we have to wear the breastplate of righteousness. 
Amen. And then goes on to talk about the sandals of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, which obviously protects your mind. And there's only one piece of this armor that's, that, 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 that is used that's not defensive. It's oppositional, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that we use on the enemy. So we don't use our, we use our shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, but how you gain territory in your life as a believer, if you want to gain territory, you have to know this word for yourself, not what the preacher quoted on Sunday morning. You have to get the word of God in your own heart because this is what helps you to gain territory in your own walk with him. This is what disrupts the enemy's kingdom in your own personal life because there's only so much that the pastor can pray for you that will gain territory for your own life. You have to know this word so that you can destroy the enemy's plots and plans for your own life so that you can gain territory and progress in your own life so that you can and see your own destiny fulfilled. Come on, I wish somebody would say amen to that. So that you can gain ground. Number three, you have to learn to fight back. It's so surprising to me that people take the onslaughts of the enemy and without fighting back. And we sit back and we say, and I found myself saying this, why isn't God moving on my behalf? And you know what God is saying? Why aren't you fighting back? Why aren't you praying? There are two types of believers, not, not three. There are two types of believers in my mind. Somebody will probably come up after service and give me five reasons. I have two immediately that come to my mind. There are, there are the believers who are constantly in defensive mode. And then there are other believers who are constantly in offensive mode. Here's what I mean by that. In school, there were kids who would get picked on all the time. And there were the kids that would always get pushed in the lockers and stop hitting me, stop bullying me. And, and then there were the other ones who were the bullies. And the enemy can sense which one we are. Whether we are those oppositional ones who will fold under his pressures or he recognizes you as a warrior for Christ. Come on, come on. And you are, the, you are the oppositional Christian. Now, we don't go starting fights. We don't go looking for them. But when it comes and it shows up, we better learn to pray. We better know how to fast. We better understand the Word of God for ourselves. And so there are two different types of Christians. Those who will receive the onslaughts from the enemy because he knows if he can create disruptions, he knows if he can create oppositions in your life, you'll stop your prayer life. He'll get you to stop believing God. He'll get you to push back. He'll get you to stop coming to church. He'll get you to stop fellowshipping with other believers. When we should be that person who, when that begins to happen, we increase those areas of our lives. We pray more. We fast more. We show up to all the services throughout the week. We have believers at our house every other evening just fellowshipping and enjoying each other and seeking God together, encouraging each other. Amen? fight back. Somebody say fight back. I love what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 for your notes. He says this, fight the good fight of faith. He wouldn't have called it a fight if it wasn't a fight. Somebody say it's a fight. He said fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life 
to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Listen to the tenacity of that introduction of this scripture. Timothy is calling your walk of faith a fight, Maria. He's calling it a fight. But we get surprised by the fight. He called it a fight. Say it's a fight. Christianity is not a walk in the park. Oftentimes, it is a fight. Why? Because we are taking territory for God's kingdom. I want you to look at somebody and say, stop giving up territory. Come on, look at someone else and say, look behind you if you have to. Say, stop giving up your territory. Stop giving up your peace of mind. Stop giving up your joy. Come on. Stop giving up your peace. And that's oftentimes what we do. As soon as the enemy sends his onslaughts, we're ready to give up what God has put on the inside of us. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He's not moved by any of these things. He went, he went through shipwrecks. He went through stonings. He, left, he was left for dead many times. And he said, but none of these things move me. I'm hard-pressed on every side, yet I'm not crushed. We cannot be moved, especially in this season. You cannot be moved by what you're going through. You cannot be moved by sickness. You cannot be moved by opposition. The enemy watches you, just like I say how God watches our services to see how we conduct ourselves, whether or not we're going to worship him. The enemy watches your response to the oppositions. What moves her? What moves him? Good friend of mine, I know to be one of the strongest men of God. But when I was young, I seen him go through something and I was completely shocked. I remember he had to go through a surgery and he freaked out and I never seen him come out of character. First time ever, never seen him come out of character since. But when I seen him go through this, my little child mind, I was probably just out of my teens, not very far out of it. I had this thought. It was as the Holy Spirit said this to me. The enemy is going to use sickness in that man's life to get to him. I had never seen him be moved. He never said a curse word. The strongest believer I'd ever met. But anytime pain or suffering would come, he would get moved. This is why the Bible, I feel the Lord on this. This is why the Lord so many times puts emphasis on being dead to self. You hear what I'm saying? I know I'm preaching like an 80-year-old this morning. But this is why the Bible talks about taking up your cross every day and following the Lord. This is why the scripture talks about not being moved circumstantially. Because the enemy, not to get you in fear, but I just want to awaken your eyes. I want to lift the veil off of some of your eyes. He will see what moves you. There are some people that I've met that they can be sick in their body. And they're not moved. But if they don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse, do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, they will show up to the prayer meetings. They're holy. They love the Lord. But let them not have a relationship in their life. And so what the enemy will do, he will set up patterns in that person's life for broken relationships because he realizes that's the only thing that can move them. So my friend who I was talking about, he couldn't be moved financially. He was a huge giver. He couldn't be moved by people leaving him. He wouldn't move. 
But as soon as his health got hit, God didn't exist. He would sulk in his pain, and he this pattern over and over. And so I would see the enemy working in this specific area of his life. You want to know what mine was? As a little boy, I, I knew the enemy. And it's, it was the same thing with Jesus. I don't put myself in that category. But if you look at Moses and Jesus' life, if you look at anybody who has a deep calling on their life, more than likely, particularly prophetic people, they battle with rejection. You ever seen that? They battle with rejection. Because the gift of a prophet is to be a gift to the body, to people. But the devil knows if I can get them to reject your gift, I can break your soul. I can break your spirit. And so this is why the scripture talks about dying to self. Is anybody getting anything out of that? So as a little boy, I remember, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I remember as a little boy, I was, couldn't have been four years old. I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Y'all can pray for me. It was a lot of trauma. Just a lot of things got block, blocked out. But as a four-year-old boy, I do remember this. I was with my dad. My mother and my dad were not together at this time. They left, my dad had left me. My dad, he was, he was an addict. And he was with his girlfriend at the time. Well, he left me. I had woke up in the middle of the night. It had to be two in the morning. And the burners on the stove were on, gas stoves. So she had left and put the burners on the stove. And the house was being filled with smoke. And from that point on, and it's like a, like a spirit of rejection just came on me. And so all throughout life, rejection, rejection, rejection after rejection. And I remember even in my 20s, I'm in my, my mid-30s now, I remember the Lord said this, the only way you're, you're going to survive this is you got to die to it. And so here's what I did is I went back, and some people say, hey, don't go back to your childhood, which is fine. And I said, Lord, where were you that day? And I just closed my eyes, and I said, Lord, where were you? You forsook me that day. Because I can handle people leaving me. But I'm like David, take not thy spirit from me. So I remember I closed my eyes, and I said, Lord, where were you that day? And I can almost see him in my holy imagination in the corner shaking his head, sorry for what happened, and saying to me, son, they may leave you, but I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. In that moment, I got healed. And so from that point on, I got the 10th gift of the, of the uh, fruit, fruit of the Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? There's nine fruit, but God gave me a 10th fruit. You want to know what that 10th fruit is? The gift of goodbye. Meaning you love people as long as God gives them to you. But if they fail, they need to go. You open the door and let them go. You love them and you pray for them, but don't you dare allow that to put you in despair. Don't you allow that to rob you from your relationship with the Lord as it relates to your joy and as to your spiritual health and your physical well-being emotionally. The enemy will study the believer to see what weakens him, what destroys her, what moves her faith in God. 
And this is why Paul came to this place and he said this. Am I talking too much? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's the art of death to self. Not physical death. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And when you learn to die to those things that begin to move you, you begin to receive the life of Christ on the inside of you and you, you get less and less moved by the things of this world. And you can live in it and not be weird and survive it. And more than survive it, you can thrive in it because you have the resurrected Savior by His Spirit on the inside of you. Come on, somebody say amen to that. I just feel something on that. Investigate your life on what moves you. And if you look at it deeply enough and are very honest with yourself, there are things that move us. Finances moved me. I remember, I feel like I'm being laborious, but I feel the spirit on this. I have to follow the Lord. I remember it was just... I can count on one hand how many years ago, probably five years. I'd been in business for now almost 19, almost 20, sorry. And I remember, man, I would worry because I had several families I had to take care of and they depended upon me. And I remember coming to an end of a season and I mean, I, had sp- I was completely spent. And I remember... We had work pouring in left and right, but it was like putting money in a bag with holes. I just could not get ahead. And I was one payroll away from being bankrupt. One payroll. It was like $6,000 we had in the bank. And that sounds like a lot of money, but when that's a payroll, that's, you know, that's what pays your staff. And I remember this Lord saying, I want to bless you, but you're going to have to die to this. And listen, you will never know how good God is and how faithful he is to catch you until you jump. You'll never know. He said that to me. Until you let go and really let me, I know we say that and we sing it, let go and let God. But until you jump off the cliff to find out how trustworthy he is to catch you, if he, if he takes care of the sparrow of the sky... Do you not think he can care for you? Now, to say the least, God has done way, I mean, (laughs) he's done amazing things now. But he has proven to me he is faithful. He is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be relied upon. Amen? Stand to your feet if you can. I love, wow, I didn't even get into all of that. Glory to God. He just wanted me to go down that route, I guess. So listen, after you've endured the resistance, after you've dressed for the battle, after you have fought back, then it's time to possess the land. at somebody and say, are you ready to possess the land? Are you really ready? 
Joshua 6, verses 1 through 2. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Not one went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, watch this. Not a, I don't think we have it this morning. And the Lord said to Joshua, see. Everybody say see. see. I mean, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. See, with an exclamation mark. See what? See, I have given Jericho into your hand and its king and the mighty men of valor. I know I went back to the Old Testament and I left the New Testament. Just follow me. I'm talking about entering into your promised land. I'm talking about taking territory. I'm talking about readying yourself spiritually to get whatever God has called you to attain in your life. So he said to Joshua, see, I've given you Jericho into your hand and it's king and the mighty men of valor. But look at the the, the preceding verse. He says, now Jericho was shut up because of the children of Israel. In other words, Jericho was a fully functioning city full of warriors. And here God is telling me to go possess the land. And before I even have it, he's saying, see, I've given it to you. I, I don't know about you, Lord, but when I, when I look at my circumstance, it doesn't look like what you just said. You say I have it, but I don't have it. You're saying I have peace, but I only have fear. You're saying I'm healed, but I'm sick. You're saying my marriage is blessed, but I see it dissolving in front of my very eyes. You're saying I'm blessed, but I feel anything but blessed right now. If I were being honest with you, Lord, I I feel like I'm cursed, but but you're saying, see, I've, I've given this to you. And God will always speak in advance because he's at the very end, but you're sitting at your beginning. And you can't see your end at your beginning. Only he sees the end of a thing at the beginning. So God sees what that marriage is going to look like because he's a futuristic God. And so he's saying to some of you this morning, see. What is he saying, see? You know what I believe? I'm just, I would love to be a commentary, a commentator in the Bible one day maybe because I kind of want to stick things in there. But it says don't add or take away, so I won't. But I'm tempted. So it says see, but what I would write is see what I see. That's what the Lord is saying to some of you this morning. I know you see it in your own way. It looks like chaos. It looks like it's being disturbed. It looks like it's not going anywhere. It looks like you're stuck. It looks like there's no progression. It looks like you're not healed, but see. See what I see. He said, see, I've given you the land. See from my perspective. See from my vantage point. See from my heavenly throne the way that I see what you're gonna become. See the way that I see this marriage is gonna turn out. See the way that I see your finances turning around and you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. See what I see. Have you ever had a promise from God? And in reality, it looks completely opposite of what he spoke. 
The Lord knows we need encouragement. This is why he gives prophetic words. This is why he gives little encouragements because he knows when you're in the middle of that thing, when it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like, he knows you need it. So what he'll do is he'll let you see just a little bit. We see in part. That's what the scripture says. We see in part and we prophesy in part. He'll only let you see glimpses. He'll give you enough breadcrumbs, just, just enough to hold on, just enough to keep praying. Where's the worship team? They're stuck. They're receiving, so they don't even want to come up here. He'll let you see just a little bit, man, just little, little glimpses. He'll let you see through the people just, just enough to keep you believing him and holding on to him, to keep you praying, to keep you fasting to keep you close to him, to keep you showing up on a Sunday morning, to keep you opening up your word in the morning when you wake up and opening the word when you go to sleep at night. Isn't it funny how God reveals the future of your destiny, but he leaves out all the details of the heartache that you might accumulate while you're on the way to destiny. Isn't it funny how he just tells you about the blessed part of it, but he doesn't tell you about the breaking part of it before you get what he's called you to have? The true war is over territory. And that's what the children of Israel were experiencing. A resistance because of territory. So I want to encourage you all this morning. Don't stop fighting and contending for what God called you to have. That thing. I don't know what your thing is, but you and God know what that thing are because he's highlighting it in your life even right now. This may not be for everybody, but it is certainly for a good handful of somebodies who has to contend for what God has called you to contend for. Psalms 144 verse 1 says this, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And so Lord, I pray that for each and every person even right now that there would be a special grace that's released even in this moment, Lord to contend, to have the desire to contend. Because some of you are weak and you're tired and you say, I've been contending. I almost I hear that in my, in my heart right now. Some of you saying, I've been contending. I have prayed. I have fasted. I have contended. And I hear the Lord saying this to you. When you have done all to stand, keep standing. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.